Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Denovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fried, the Burnout Podcast. Today, I am talking to Lisa Mascal, who happens to also be in New Jersey with me and also happens to be an acupuncturist. So I am very excited about this conversation. Lisa is a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, a board-certified herbalist, and a licensed physical therapist. So she's got both the East and the West and a lot of knowledge to draw from. So I can't wait to hear her story and see what she's got to say. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I love that you're here. So I'm starting every show by asking everyone to share their, their burnout story. What the heck happened? Yes. Okay. So I, um, like you said, I am a physical therapist and an acupuncturist. Um, physical therapy came first. I went to physical therapy school in like the early or the late nineties and early two thousands. I finished that around 2002. And then I started, you know, in, in a career physical therapy and I loved it. Like absolutely loved it. I was always an athlete growing up and always knew that I wanted to kind of do something in the, the sports medicine arena. So physical therapy was like perfect for me. Um, I, at that time, physical therapy degrees were not doctorates. They were mostly master's degrees. So I got a master's. And then shortly after I finished, like some of the other people that I graduated with were going back for their doctorate. And I chose not to do that at that time, which is a decision I never really regretted. I kind of went right into work and I was like happy to be working. And I didn't feel like the, the extra doctorate really would offer much for me. So so I just got busy working. I was working for a sports medicine clinic. Uh, I was doing some early intervention, uh, early intervention with babies, like birth to three years old. Um, and I loved that too. I was doing it for yeah. like probably four or five, six years. And like, I guess any new, um, anybody new, straight out of school, I was like killing it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, full-time job Monday through Friday. I had a night job, like the home care. And then on the weekends I worked in like a nursing home or something. So I was just, but there was no burnout there yet. Maybe took like four, five, six years to get there. And I got pretty, pretty tired, pretty quick. Um, physical therapy is a pretty physical job. Like you're lifting big legs and stretching. I'm a pretty tiny person. I mean, not that that matters, but it was uh, it was stressful after a while. It was a lot a lot to handle, and I got to be really tired. My hands hurt a lot. Yeah, um, I loved working with kids and babies, but it meant a lot of time like crawling around on the floor and a lot of picking up kids and babies. And um, so, yeah, my mother is actually a physical therapist assistant in the school department. Okay. I, I did that too. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So she does a lot of that, a lot of that stuff. And yeah. she said the thing that saves her is, is the amount of time that they have off working in the school department. 
Yes. I actually worked in school system for one year. It was, um, I think, it actually was probably the first way that I kind of dealt with how I was burning out. Oh, <laughs> really? Out. Yeah. And then I decided to take like a traveling physical therapy job where I got, you know, um, you know, it's similar to what nurses do. Yeah. Take three, like three month contracts at a time and you can go like anywhere in the country and they, you know, pay for most of your travel. They pay for your living expenses. And it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty sweet deal. So after I started getting a little bit burnout, I took a travel job on the West coast in a school system (laughs) because I thought that would be great. You know, I'd get the summer off and and it was great. It was, it was fantastic. I drove to California. I did my school system and then I drove back. And uh, then I came back, actually came back to my same job when I got back here a year later. <laughs> and yeah, so that by that point, it was probably six years in. And then I was really, really, really getting pretty bored. Yeah. Pretty bored and pretty tired. So that's... Were you bored or disengaged? Um, I was just bored like not challenged anymore right you know like you do see the same kind of things over and over and besides that I got very um very annoyed with dealing with insurance companies and having to kind of let a patient go that you weren't finished with because they didn't have coverage anymore yeah knowing how somebody could get better oh I know exactly what this person needs but I definitely can't do it in three visits or right you know what I mean? So I got, that was, that was definitely part of the burnout and part of the frustration. So. Yeah. And it's part of a, a bit much bigger issue on the scale of, of healthcare overall. Like when they first started doing any sort of burnout type research, they started with medical doctors because that was the first career that was, oh, yeah. that was really obvious. And we're talking like early seventies at this point. And it just keeps getting worse in the medical profession. I mean, it's not getting any better and it's not getting any better because insurance companies have completely taken away the autonomy and the ability of doctors and physical therapists and nurses to decide with their patients what their patients need and what's going to benefit them best. Exactly. It's it's unbelievable. I just, I already know that when I start rehabbing, when I start doing PT for my Achilles tendon post-surgery, that they're going to rehab my Achilles tendon because then my calf, because that's what they have time for. But meanwhile, when you're on crutches for six weeks, your whole body is messed up and they don't have the time or space to address all of those issues because of the way insurance functions in this country. Yeah. It's, it's super unfortunate. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really big, it's a really big factor for burnout in the medical profession overall. So it's not surprising that that's something that, that came up as an issue yeah. at that part of your career. Definitely came up as an issue. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess after I came back from California, I was just, you know, at the, at the height of my burnout. And I actually was thinking at that point about taking a job, like teaching English because I loved the traveling part of what I had just done. And I, and I wanted to do more of that. Obviously, when you have a full-time job and you get whatever, like two weeks off a year, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much in the world you can see. Yeah. So I, um, I literally was not looking for a job out of the country, but I stumbled on it and I took it. It was a, a job working for the army in um, Germany, in the south of Germany. So I took that job. It took like all of 
three or four months to get all of the paperwork or whatever done that needed to be done. And, and I left and actually nobody believed me. <laughs> my <laughs> friends and my family were like, you're not going anywhere. And then I started packing up my house and they were like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm going to Germany, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So I went, I was there for three and a half years and wow, that's a big chunk of time. Yeah, it was, it was a good amount of time. It was, um, two, two year contracts. So with the, like a couple months taken off for all of the paperwork that had to be done in the beginning, it, it was, it was about four years altogether. Um, so that I worked on an army base with soldiers and, um, their families doing the same thing, physical therapy, but my job was kind of, uh, on a multidisciplinary team with a psychiatrist and an occupational therapist. And we were specifically working on um, brain injury. So the guys that had very mild brain injuries from Afghanistan, they had been seeing a lot of like blast exposure type injuries. So right. concussions and even um, situations where it wasn't necessarily like a big blast, but the constant like small um, head injuries that they were having all the time. So when they came back, they did, you know, one year or so of like rehab and getting healthy and all of that kind of stuff. And I was part of that kind of brain wow. team. That's pretty incredible. It was fun. It was fun stuff. We did some, you know, different things with like high tech equipment. I worked on a lot of ocular motor stuff. I worked really closely with the occupational therapist. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. And it, you know, it definitely, even though I was still doing physical therapy job, it was a lot different than what I had done in the past. And so it, you know, it kept me busy, not to mention I got to travel and see Europe and all of that kind of stuff, make a whole new group of friends. And that kept me pretty happy for a couple of years. Um, yeah. But actually I started wanting to learn more about acupuncture while I was there because um, one of the things that they did for us, all of the health professionals, pretty much everybody that worked in the health clinic there was from the States, you know, they had um, come over to work in the, in the health clinic in that army base, just like I did. So we all needed to maintain our license with continuing education. And it, they didn't want us going back to the States for a week. To, you know what I mean? To, to do it. Yeah, of course. Right. So they would bring things to us on weekends. And right. um, one of the things they brought us was a weekend of battlefield acupuncture. And we learned um, basically the NADA, the NADA protocol. protocol. Yeah. Can you explain to people what, so um, I want Lisa to explain this, but battlefield acupuncture and the NADA protocol are really incredible, incredible tools. So can you explain to people what, what that is? Yeah. So um, it's five points in the ear. That's, that's really all they taught us was the five points. We didn't learn anything else. And at that point I had, I had had acupuncture myself once or twice, but I really didn't know anything about it. Right. And neither did anybody else. Like everybody in that training with me were random people from the health clinic. So, um, so it's just five points in the ear and I started using it in my, um, physical therapy office for everything you can imagine because people started coming for it. Like they were coming for, you know, migraines, which as a physical therapist, I can treat migraines and I was treating migraines, but my results were limited. So sometimes you know, when I didn't know what else to do, I would start using, I would start using the NADA, the NADA protocol or the battlefield acupuncture. And believe it or not, people were lining up outside my door. Oh, this helped me uh, 
stop smoking. That's one of the things everybody wants to do is stop smoking. Right. Um, and then they would tell their daughter, I'm, I'm sorry, their wife, and then their wife would come for it. And then uh, the wife has migraines. Oh, it's, you know, I wanted to stop smoking, but I haven't had a migraine since you, since you started with the NADA protocol. So it and, really kind of ballooned. Right. And, and did they teach you the, um, the neuroscience behind the NADA protocol? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. They literally just showed us how, like the five points, like gave us a paper with yeah. the five points on it and really gave us, uh, you know, they were the indwelling needles. I find those needles kind of scary now. I would never use them. They come with, they're like spring loaded and they have like a fish hook on them. Oh my God. And they Sounds fall awful. out and people find them all over, all over the house with little kids. It's not good. No, that's not good. There's much better ways to do that. Um, and then no, did you, that. yeah, exactly. Did, and then when you went to school, did you learn about the NADA protocol more in school, in acupuncture school? Um, not really. We didn't learn it specifically, maybe a little bit. Not, we didn't learn it very much. It was kind of like, um, I think we learned a little bit in, in auricular, like in, a, in an auricular yeah. class, how it yeah. works. But I know it's used specifically for um, addiction. People use it a lot for yes. addiction. And it was, I believe it started in France, right? No. It? Oh. Oh, no. The auricular acupuncture was, um, was popularized in France, general auricular acupuncture by Nogier. And then the Chinese created their own map because if it was acupuncture and it was working, the Chinese had to have their had to have their own thing. So there are multiple different okay. maps because of it. But so ear acupuncture, yes, the father of it is is from France. But the NADA protocol was something that was put together by someone who was running um, an an addiction clinic for crack, I believe, in the Bronx in the oh, late yes. in the late seventies. I can't remember his name right now. I have heard something about that now that you say it. Yeah, and he's the one that really sort of like blasted that into the popularity that, that it has now. And so when we say not a protocol, we're talking about these five points in the ear that we often use for addiction in, in the acupuncture community. We also use them for all sorts of emotional things, PTSD, and they've been shown these five points to adjust the dopamine and serotonin levels in the brain and help break through old neural pathways that people are having a hard time breaking through themselves. So if you've got a habit that's really deeply ingrained, um, if, even if it's not to the level of an addiction, but it is a habit, you can use the NADA protocol to sort of flood your brain with good um, chemicals so that you have the power then to create changes and cre create habit changes and, and things like that. So it's an incredibly powerful thing. And I know that there is someone out there that knows a lot more about this than me. Please feel free to yeah. write into the show and I will put that information in the show notes. I'm not, I'm not a specialist in the NADA protocol, but there are, there is some really, really great science um, backing it up. So you were in Germany, you're in this army place, you learned this you know, battlefield acupuncture, you learn the NADA protocol, people are lining up outside and you're thinking. And I'm thinking I need to know more. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know more for sure. Um, yeah. So that's why I started thinking about going back to, to school for acupuncture. I knew that when I left that job that I would not be going back to, you know, the, back to the States to do what I did before. I just knew that I wasn't going to do that. And 
then this started and I was like, okay, this is, this is it. It kind of, kind of fell into my lap. I just, you know, I just knew that I had to do something different and, and I, and I truly wanted to know more. Like I, like I wanted to know what was going on. Why did I put these five needles in the ear just like they showed me? And he doesn't care for smoking anymore or, yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, like how did that how did that happen? Like it, I think in the in the past just even as being a physical therapist, I knew that um you know, you can look at the MRI, you can look at the x-ray, they can be right in front of you, the person is right in front of you, you've treated them, you know, 10, 20 times, but something else is there. Like something else that you can't see is going on because the x-ray looks fine and the MRI is perfect. This person still has pain. And I also would always kind of get a, a feeling about who was going to get better at, yeah. on the evaluation. Like I knew who, who was going to get better. Like who, is this person going to be able to get better to the point where they can do the things that they want to do or are they not? And I always could tell by the first, after the first visit, you know, after a couple of years of doing this. Was so it I, an intuition or was it personality traits that you saw in the patient? It was personality traits. It what was, are they? <laughs> like their motivational level. Yeah. How, how negative they were about their situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like those kind of things always led me to believe like, because I had seen it for the first couple of years. I, I had no idea about that when I first started. But after you see the same kind of patterns over and over and over and over and over in people, it's like, ah, oh, what's going on there? Like, it's whatever it is, it's not on the MRI and it's not on the x-ray and it's not in the blood work. So what is it? So something else is going on here. Yeah. yeah. There's something yeah. kind of unseen that I, that I want to know more about. Yeah. What I think is interesting about the, the first part of your story that you sort of, you always wanted to sort of do work in some type of sports medicine. You were an athlete and you, you enjoyed like the idea of physical therapy for what it could do for people. And you knew that from a young age and you planned on that. And what I'm noticing in the conversations that I'm having on this podcast is that a lot of people are saying this is what I planned to do as a child, but then the picture of what I was doing didn't match the picture that I had created before. And I, it just didn't work. It just didn't, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, which leads to a conversation. I want to finish your story first, but eventually leads to a conversation about expectations and about clarity. Like, yeah. From, from perspective now, I know that clarity comes from action. You're never going to know how much you love something until you're doing it every day. Right. And I think the big portion of burnout now is that we're teaching people that you need to choose what's going to make you happy and then do it and then you'll be happy. But you don't know what's going to make you happy until you try it. Exactly. And I, so I think people are, are stuck in this un unwillingness to try things because trying things is costly and scary and creates change. And, and, and there's a bunch of good reasons to kind of steer the ship straight and narrow. But we end up in, this, in these scenarios where the thing that we were dreaming of is not, it's not it. Right. Yeah. I think that's very, that's very true. For me, it kind of... I think um, I loved physical therapy in the beginning, but yeah. it, you know, I, I grew as a person and as I grew as a person, it became not as much me anymore. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So then you came back from Germany and went to acupuncture school. Yes, I went to PCOM, uh, Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in San Diego for the first year. And then I transferred to the New York uh, campus and I finished and I finished there in 2016. That is so cool. And now how are you dealing with maintaining your passion and burnout in your practice <laughs> now? Because the tricky part is um, there, there's a lot of talk around burnout in the medical community and the acupuncture community is not separate from that. Um, some of the reasons are a little bit different. Most often it's because we are almost forced to be entrepreneurs. And while that works for me, that's not something that is everyone's cup of tea. Um, And the same issues that you were mentioning about insurance earlier, like acupuncture is, can be, is not always, depends on who, who you're seeing and what kind of practice they're running. If it's community acupuncture or private or boutique or specialized or whatever, but it can be quite expensive. And time-consuming for people to do. And I, in my own life, I find it worth it because I know what it's capable of. And I know what can happen. But when you're on the outside, it's it's hard for patients sometimes to accept that it's going to take this amount of time and this amount of treatments and this amount of money. Meanwhile, usually it saves them money in the long run because they can avoid surgeries and, and recovery times and all sorts of other stuff. But you can't... It, we work in this strange little field where people are interested in it, but there's not enough knowledge around it for people to feel safe, always making that decision. True. Very true. Right. So I think that's a big part of, of burnout in in our profession as it is, as it exists at the moment. So the, the entrepreneurship, the, the sort of weirdness of it. I had someone get really upset with me one day on Instagram because I said, you know, alternative medicine is a little weird. And she was like, I think you need to look at your shadows and figure out who you are. And it's, is it weird? Or is it that other people have these expectations and society created these rules and la 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 la. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, honestly, it's a little bit weird. It's a little weird. Right. That I can stick needles into someone that yeah. has a migraine and they can leave 20 minutes later without a migraine. It's weird that I can stick needles into someone for three months and completely normalize their hormonal system so that they can get pregnant. Yeah. That's, that's a concept. That's a little weird. Yeah. I like that. It's weird. Yeah. Weird is an okay <laughs> word for that. I think it's a good, it's a good description. <laughs> I love it. And I, I am really, I get into the science behind it more and more, the more research that comes out and I love understanding it more on a Western basis. Um, but you know, it's going to be a long time before patients get to the point where they understand it on a Western basis, because we're barely starting that conversation within ourselves. So we're out sort of in left field. People sort of think we're doing something a little bit strange. Yeah. Insurance companies don't always want to pay us especially <laughs> amount of time that we need to see someone in order for them to have the results that we know are possible. Right. And we have to be entrepreneurs for the most part in order to make enough money to pay back our student loans. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> schooling for acupuncturists is so majorly expensive. It's like criminal. It really is. Right. So there's all these different things that are all wrapped up into it. And, and so for, 
for me, I was in Europe for the first 12 years of my acupuncture practice. I graduated, I moved to Europe immediately. My husband is Polish, so we were living in Poland and then we moved to Prague. And I started working so hard just to prove that I could make it that I found myself very successful and very fucking tired. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I feel like that's exactly what I'm trying not to do, mainly because I know it, how quickly it can happen from being a PT. Yeah. No. Yeah. So what do you think are the steps that like, if there's somebody that's doing a job that's similar to ours, like, what do you think the steps are that they have to take to help protect themselves from burning out. Yeah, I mean, what what has worked for me this time, which is like, you know, it's ever-changing, but I only work three days a week in my office. And yeah. even if they're really long days, that's it. It's, it's all in that day. You know, I have the next day off or, you know, whatever. I work three days a week in my, in my office. So I have... Um, other things that I'm interested in, like real estate or whatever, like sewing or whatever those things are, it's irrelevant, but there are yeah. other things besides treating patients. And while I love treating patients, for me, it just, that's like one of the things that kept me has, is keeping me from feeling burnout is keeping everything on three days. So I just, I mean, it's, it, you know, I rented an office and then I rented out so the space on days that I wasn't there. I'm still in the process of doing that. My office is pretty new. I've only been here like four months since February. So I'm only here three days. I rent out the space on the days that I'm not here. And that helps to kind of cover some of the expenses, but I don't ever want to be here five days a week or more than five days a week. Like right. never. I just keep those days open for, you know, enjoying other aspects of my life and spending time with my family and friends and, you know, if you look at how many hours I work all together, it's, you know, close to 40 hours. It's just all on three days. Right. I feel like that has made a, a huge, a huge difference. Something else for me is that I kind of changed my focus from musculoskeletal to doing things that I find more interesting and are brand new to me, you know? Yeah. What are you doing now? Fertility. Oh yeah, that was my that was my big thing. I worked in a in a fertility office in Warsaw for four years in a like a major international fertility clinic. Oh, wow. uh, I was the only acupuncturist, so it was me and a bunch of doctors and a bunch of nurses. Wow. And if and if somebody thinks that people don't think that acupuncture is weird, tell them to be the first acupuncturist in an infertility clinic in Poland and they will see how, how strange it really is. The doctors looked at me for the first three oh, yeah. months like, girl, what do you think you are <laughs> doing? Until their numbers started going up and then they were like, all right, you can stay. Oh, I can only imagine. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's very cool though. Yeah. Cool. It's funny. And so this, what you said is actually really interesting. So one of the things that has come up with other people in these conversations is finding the rhythm that works for you. Yes. Right. And yours is three days per week, long days. Right. Right. Um, and that's important. So not everybody, one of the things that um, allows us to prevent burnout is having the autonomy that we have because autonomy has been proven to be one of the things that is necessary to avoid burnout in the workplace. So 
having the ability simply to make that decision for yourself already puts you a step up from other people. Yes. Which is really interesting. I don't take insurance. Yes. Yeah. That has kept me from being burnt out. That was like um, something that I've kept in my mind pretty much the whole time, even finishing through school when everybody was so excited that acupuncture was starting to get covered by insurance. I was like, no, please. (laughs) Why? Because it's very hard to have a patient that is coming and getting, uh, they're coming in their their insurance is paying for it and then insurance runs out. What happens? Well, yeah. And also with town. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but that, and that goes back to, the autonomy that we were talking about, right? You can make a decision when you're a business owner if you're going to take insurance or not. So yes. that's, that's another layer of, of having some, some sense of control over what's going on in your world. And then the next thing that you said was basically hobbies. And that's something that's come up with a lot of people that I've talked to so far is that outside of whatever thing it is that they're doing, they have a hobby. And I think that this is really important. And I keep repeating this almost on every podcast, but it's something that I really want to sink into people's brains. You can love your job and be passionate about what you do and still burn out. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. For me, it was if I don't do anything else because I don't have time for anything else and I miss out on the birthdays and the, you know, I don't know, the Christmas party and the Christmas show at school and whatever else, then I don't know, it starts to get to feel like it's consuming. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's been a really important part. And it goes against this current culture of, you know, I, I call it sort of fake positive thinking of if you just find your passion, you'll feel like you're never working. Like, Shut up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are always going to be parts of your job that aren't the best parts. No yes. matter how great your job is. You know, I don't know. And maybe yeah. I still have to learn that lesson. Maybe in five years, I'm going to be like, oh, you poor little thing. Five years ago, you had no idea that everything could just be magic and unicorns. It just mm, has not. So. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, you know, I'm leaving myself open to the possibility. And the next thing that you said um, about preventing burnout was community. Yes. Just having people around you that you really want to spend time with. I mean, I... Your soul. Exactly. I I lived like many times or many different years in different places. Like I, even on this conversation, we've talked about California. We've talked about California twice, two separate times, Germany, and being close to my family now is super. It's, it, there's nothing better. Yeah. I don't think that I, I think as I was a little bit younger, I didn't value it as much as I do now. So, yeah, I agree. I, yes. The same thing happened to me. People keep saying, why did you come back to the States? Well, because I was away from my family for, I mean, it was 12 years in Europe. And before that, I was in California for nearly five. So wow. it was 17 years that I was away and I'm only 36. Very long time. (laughs) So, you know, I was away from an early age and coming back and having the ability to have people that just love me just because, and I know that not everyone has that luck with their family. So, um, 
you know, but you can choose people that love you. Absolutely. And create family out of them. Absolutely. I have some people like that too. So I think those, those things are really, really important. Finding the rhythm of work that works for you, making sure that you have hobbies and other things that you're interested in that, that take up some time that you can sort of invest yourself in and having a community of people that's supportive are three really big avoid burnout tips. Yeah, those are, the, those are pretty much the things that have kept me in a good place. With this awesome. kind of second profession, also like you know, choosing something that was a little a little different from the first profession. Like I'm not all only treating musculoskeletal and pain. I try to see a lot of um, you know fertility men and women. It's it's great that I can. I don't know. I actually went from a specialist to a generalist. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice to be able to treat anything really as before I could only treat musculoskeletal pain. Right. And now you have the tools to go much, much deeper. I love it. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It was a nice, calm, even meditative conversation for me. I felt like we were in a really nice groove and it was very pleasant. So thank you for spending your time with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Caitlin. It was interesting. Good, good. And to all of the listeners, thank you for being here with us today. And if anything in this podcast struck you, resonated with you, please do let us know. Leave, Leave me a review and share this with anyone who might need it. And we'll be back next week talking to somebody new about something different and the same. All right. Until then. Ha 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 